John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy. Oh, Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bull****. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. All right, Anakin Florian Podcast, back in your life, episode 467, presented by DraftKings. Thanks to everybody, by the way, who tuned in live for the watch party last weekend for UFC Fight Night, Hermanson versus Pfeiffer. That replay is still yours on the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. Ken Flo, nice shirt. Nice fucking like shirt. That? You like that, kid? Little Oxblood kit. Little That's Oxblood. what it is. The Oxblood yeah. Anakin Florian Podcast logo. JohnAnik.com for all of your merchandise needs. Promo code one more sleep for 20% off your order. That goes through UFC 298 this weekend. We have also just released our flagship, our new flagship one more sleep design. So you can check those out as well. All right. So coming up today, we will talk to MMA junkie and USA Today Sports' Dan Tom and also our chief handicapper, Brian Petrie. We'll give you, I think, seven or eight plays for UFC 298. And we will close the show with our award-winning segment, Place Your Bets. Ken Flo and Brian Petrie will have $1,000 to spend on their wagers for UFC 298. But Ken Flo, I got a little game to play with you off the top of the program today. What do you got? The game's called Overrated, Underrated, Properly Rated. And the jumping off point for this is that a lot of fans will suggest to me that as commentators, we either overrate a fighter or we underrate a fighter. And Kamzat Chimaev is one name that comes to mind. A lot of fans suggest that I have overrated him either when it comes to his cardiovascular base or just his overall skill set. So I'm going to throw some names out there and you got to give me overrated, underrated, or as they might say in Boston, properly rated, right? All right. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. Charles Dubronx Oliveira, future Hall of Famer. Is he overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I, I think he's properly rated, to be honest. And you look at what he has done from a submission standpoint alone, he's got the record. I don't think a, a whole lot of people are going to be uh, right there behind him uh, for a while anyway. So, yeah, <clears throat> I think he's properly rated. Uh, you look at what he's done from a striking standpoint. He's always dangerous. He's one of the most exciting fighters in this sport today. Strong agreement there. I would suggest that Charles Oliveira is properly rated. Yuri Prohaska. Now, after his fight against Alex Pereira, there was sort of a groundswell of the fan base suggesting that maybe we had overrated Prohaska. Certainly accomplished a lot before he got to the UFC, but things happened expeditiously when he got here. What do you think about Yuri Prohaska? Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? So I assume we're talking from a skill standpoint, right? Because, you know, as far as delivering action and going out there to win that fight by a finish, he's properly rated. Now, from a skill standpoint, I think he might be a bit overrated. Why? I think, you know, he tends to get a little lazy with his hands sometimes, uh, gets a little reckless sometimes. So hard to be consistent long term with that style. So let's give him a, a, a tidbit of uh, being overrated. It's a hard exercise, right? Because yeah. you can't go through all of these names. I think I have nine or 10 names for you and not suggest that any of these athletes is not overrated. But we have some interesting yeah. names. Sugar Sean O'Malley, overrated, underrated, or properly rated? Yeah. I. Can I go first on this one? 
Please. So I think as a grappler and his willingness to grapple in that realm, I do believe that Sean O'Malley is underrated, but there's not a lot of proof, at least on film. So I think he's an underrated grappler. I think he's properly rated as the striker and sniper that he is. I would suggest he's a little bit underrated when it comes to just the cardiovascular commitment and the overall work ethic, right? I think certainly the mirage is out there and people see him smoking weed, right? There are plenty of fighters that smoke a hundred times more weed than Sean O'Malley does, even though he's become synonymous with that substance. I would say Sean O'Malley in certain parts of his game is still underrated despite being a UFC champion. Yeah, I think that's an interesting argument. You know, the most common thing I get from people who have seen Sean O'Malley fight is that, ah, I think he's overrated, yada, yada, yada. How can a guy be overrated when you go out there and knock out one of the best, uh, you know, bantamweight champions of all time in Aljamain Sterling? And right. he did it while he was injured, yeah. right? I mean, that, that, that's insane. So I, I think it kind of all balanced itself out, and we have a properly rated fighter go. in a lot of ways in Sean O'Malley. So there you all go. All right. This one could be interesting. Patty Pimblett. Overrated. I, I think he's overrated because of this. I think he's popular. I think he's exciting. Uh, um, you know, I like hearing him talk. I love the accent, all that stuff. From a skill standpoint, though, he's got a long way to go. Uh, um, I would love to be proven wrong over time, uh, but I do think he's uh, he's overrated. Yes. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. Hamzat Chimaev. Gosh, this is interesting. You know, I was very much on the Chimaev train. I, I think that seeing him fade a little bit over the course of a fight makes me a little bit concerned for when he does go in there for a five-rounder for the belt against certain guys. Um, so I think he's slightly overrated, slightly yeah. overrated, um, but uh, – certainly capable of being a world champion in that sport. So right. I, I do think he doesn't have a whole lot of experience right now. Um, so I, I'd like to see a little bit more. But so I, I would say slightly overrated. How's that? Yeah, I think that's fair. But certainly as a welterweight, formerly an absolute monster. And I thought Definitely. it would have been an eventuality that he become a UFC champion if he could actually make the weight consistently. Remains to be seen as to whether or not he can realize gold at 185 pounds. But when Dana White talks in these lofty terms about Hamzat Chimaev and suggests that he's never seen anything like him, largely I subscribe to that theory. I still think he's one of a few guys that I've never seen anything like him in terms of a comp. So I would say that Hamzat Chimaev is properly rated. All right. How about Dustin Poirier? Hasn't won the undisputed prize. Overrated, underrated, or properly rated? I think properly rated uh, think to so see too. what he's accomplished in both divisions, really, and now really settled in to be an absolute force at 155 pounds, properly rated. All right. Merab Dwalishwili. We talked a little bit with Ray Longo earlier this week about Merab. I think he's underappreciated in terms of the offensive fighter that he is in terms of the entertainment value and all that. But overrated, underrated, properly rated Merab Dwalishwili. Ding, ding, ding. My first underrated vote here. I, I think he's underrated, man. I don't think people appreciate, truly appreciate how much energy and how much skill he puts into his fights. He's an absolute terror uh, to, to, to go against. Aljamain Sterling, overrated, underrated, properly rated. I think he's a little bit underrated as well, to be honest. You know, I, I don't think he was appreciated as much, certainly, when he was champion as some of the other guys in the division. 
um, whether it was people who, you know, uh, were rubbed the wrong way because of things he said or whatever. Uh, but I think he was underrated, man. To see what he did at 135 pounds and the amount of weight that he had to cut, the guys that he beat, I'd say underrated. All right, and we will close it out with two names that will be fighting at UFC 298 this weekend. Overrated, underrated, properly rated, Ian Machado Gary. So, uh, I, I am I am definitely high on Ian Gary. I think he's a great fighter. Um, I, I think there there's certain people um, who would say he is strongly overrated uh, right now. Um, I, I I don't think he's underrated. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Um, hmm. I think he's properly rated by his contemporaries, right? Yeah. Guys like Bilal Muhammad, when they are asked about stylistic challenges in this welterweight division, they acknowledge him. Certainly a lot of his former Killcliffe FC teammates have talked about just how good he is. Derek Brunson comes to mind. I actually think he's a little bit underrated in terms of certain parts of his game, his ability to weaponize cardio and everything else. So Forced to choose. I know this is probably the minority opinion. I think Ian Machado Gary, if I believe he can be a world champion, which I do, then I think he's underrated right now. Gotcha. At least by the fan base. Right. The record speaks for itself, too. You know, he's faced some good guys. Um, no one really has had an answer for him. Um, and I think this will be another great test for him moving forward. I think he's properly rated at this stage of the game, man. All right. Last one. Paulo Costa. Ooh, tough. One. Gosh. This is this is a tough one. Um, there's a part of me that says he's underrated. Um, I, he definitely has some skills to improve on. But for example, this fight against Whitaker, man, I, I think that if you underrate someone like Paula Costa, yes, he's been away for a little uh, a little while. Uh, I think that will be to your own detriment. Uh, Costa is a problem. He loves to get in your face. He throws a lot of volume uh, when when he's active and he's and he's in his rhythm. Um, and yeah, I, I think those are, those, those are things that kind of people kind of forget about a little bit. I think a lot of people still have that memory, uh, of Adesanya kind of schooling him. Right. So I think that's kind of the, 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 the knock on him. But, uh, so for that, I think he's a little underrated. He, he's going to be a problem for a lot of guys, dude. I would agree. Health is wealth, but. Yep. Noted I in the work ethic and the warrior. And part of the reason he hasn't been able to make the walk consistently is because he trains so goddamn hard. And whether it's been staph infections or elbow injuries, yes. things have caught up with him because he goes so goddamn hard. All right, Dan Tom coming up in about a minute. But fight fans, get in on the UFC 298 action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. And how fascinating is this UFC 298 fight card? Alexander Volkanovsky, Ilya Topuria, featherweight title, essentially a pick em right now. Fight is commanding two-way action, but it appears as though some bulk money has come in. Also interesting, some big underdog prices next to the names of Paolo Costa, Jeff Neal, and Henry Cejudo. You can get in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code AFPOD. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code AFPOD. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 
21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in ontario one no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on the amount of your initial losing bet bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance see dkng.com promos for deposit wagering and eligibility restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources all right you can find him at dan tom mma on x long time respected mixed martial arts analyst for mma junkie and usa today and this can only be described as an overdue appearance here on the anakin florian podcast dan tom is with us dan how are you brother oh man it's an honor to be here with you guys uh obviously big fan i'm a big listener of the show if you believe it believe it or not and i'm not just saying that to blow smoke up your your, your butts there anik you know i'm a big fan of you but uh i don't know a lot of people even my own listeners are surprised to know that one of my favorite uh, fighters, you know, I'm five nine from Hawaii. You're gonna think it's BJ Penn, right? No, no, I was a Kenny Florian fan. One of the fighters <laughs> oh, wow. I helped. Look at that. One of the fighters. I was a tough noob man, so uh, I gravitated toward Ken Flo. I'm gonna spare, you know, uh, just pouring my, my my compliments toward the guy. But uh, big <laughs> Ken Flo fan, so this is big for me, man. So uh, you're the man. thank you guys. That's pretty cool. So, you know, you're one of the go to minds, I think, for a lot of us when we're prepper when we're preparing for these fights. And certainly I know you have a lot of respect from the fan base just in terms of the way you eat film and the way you're able to assess what is inherently a really technical, tricky sport, I think, for a lot of people. So what was the jumping off point for you? Like, when did you become a rabid mixed martial arts fan that has become one of the better analysts out there? Uh, way too kind of the compliments, but um, basically, you know, I, I got into martial arts, you know, kind of like through the gateway martial arts here in the United States, Taekwondo in the 90s. Uh, you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, you should be earning black belts or anything under 18, but I did compete at a national level for what it's worth and uh, got into Chinese Kempo, uh, which was, you know, in the gi, like a karate kind of all things are kind of sold here in the States from that. And I actually went to China uh, twice, uh, the Shaolin Temple two summers from what I gather, I was there the same summer as a, as a young Dan Hardy in the summer of 2000 wow. uh, in the same province because there there are multiple temples there. Um, so, uh, I, I, of course, you know, I, I'm still kind of nobody now. And, and, and Dan Hardy wasn't, you know, Dan Hardy back then. But I thought that was kind of cool. And I always had that martial art bug. Um, and I was aware of mixed martial arts. Right. I'd, you know, see the K1 buses pulling a town with Scotty Cokes back in the day here in huh. Vegas. We see the MMA, you know, all the all, you know, uh, the old school, you know, uh, you know, no holds bar stuff. But like I said, it wasn't until about tough. I was in a band and I kind of gave up on my, my, my martial arts days. But, you know, my bass player would always come in with his Mirko Croak cop doing the split shirt said, huh. you know, destiny awaits. And. Of course, I was probably cracking some, you know, borderline homophobic comments as kids who grew up in the <laughs> 90s and 80s, as we uh, we, we kind of did not make it an excuse. But just to point out the fact that I was a bit reluctant, right, to kind of get in, I would poke fun and like, whoa, I bet you bet you like that stuff. Huh? And <laughs> and eventually, even though I'm not even a reality TV guy then or now, it was it was that tough series that Kenny was on that got me into it. And um, perhaps portending the future, you know, the reason why I was, you know, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, attracted. Don't get nervous, Kenny. Attracted to Florian because he was because you know I didn't know he was a collegiate athlete, of course. So I'm not trying to you know take you know take it in the spirit that it's meant. But Kenny didn't really stand out, right? He was this pragmatic, more technical guy. Southpaw. I'm a big Southpaw guy here. Uh, it's one of the few points of pride I have in my analysis is my Southpaw analysis. So I gravitate towards Southpaws. And uh, unfortunately, I found out real quick uh, after getting an extreme couture, you know, after Randy wins his, you know, his, does his comeback. Uh, no offense, Ken Flo, but Randy becomes one of my favorite fighters at that point. Right. Join extreme couture 07, 08. 
Um, and, you know, found out real quick, I'm better at, you know, talking about teaching these things than I am at doing it. Right. Had an amateur fight, uh, you know, got got got, you know, mopped for three rounds by Marvin Eastman's son. Uh, and by the time wow. I was able to gather myself and get back into my second camp for an amateur fight in 2015, I sustained a really bad concussion. And that's why I wear these glasses. I know I'm a hipster, but that's actually not why I wear the glasses. It was a concussion sustained uh, in training. And uh, it, took me, it took me a while to get back, lost my corporate gig despite having insurance and extra insurance because I was competing at the time. I thought maybe I'll get a broken arm in a jujitsu match. Let me pay for the extra insurance. But unfortunately, as we know, uh, our healthcare system, if there is a, an insurance system, isn't great here. So if uh, there is, you know, uh, not so sure science like head stuff, they're going to press that. And uh, yeah, I was essentially denied coverage from a corporate gig that I was I was wow. tits at. Never missed a day for three years. And uh, they even denied me my Cobra insurance, like your Damn. insurance you're supposed to get when you leave. And it was your guys coach of the year nomination. Another reason why I love this podcast, you guys name it after Robert Fallis, coach of the year. You know, I, I came up under Neil Melanson uh, originally, who gave me my kind of purple belt, even though he's more of a catch guy. We don't work in the gi. Uh, it was Fallis, though, kind of convinced me to get back into the gi, back into martial arts. And when I got injured, he was like, you know, Dan, you used to teach some of the classes, the, the basic classes, of course, extreme couture, kids, a, 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 adults. He's like you're pretty good at explaining this stuff. You know, I know you're going mad because you can't get on the mats because of the concussion. Why don't you try, you know, breaking things down and writing about it? And I, I took Robert Follis's advice. Wow. Next thing you know, I'm picked up by an outlet MMA latest across the seas. Then I'm picked up by Flow Combat. I'm sure you guys heard of. And then from there, picked up by MMA Junkie, by, uh, large part and help by the good graces. Shout out to uh, MMA Junkie Radio, gorgeous George and Gord, uh, George, who have been doing amazing interviews with you both for years. So I know you guys know those guys. And, uh, Sorry, long-winded, but that's the quick story to how I wow. luckily got here, turned a, turned a, a curse into a blessing, if you will. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I was a Shaolin Kempo karate guy as well, so we share that in common. Uh, that's cool. So you grew up in Hawaii? Is that the deal? Uh, I came up in the early 90s like with a lot of the Hawaiians who kind of uh, migrated, right, because of the, the high prices and whatnot. I go back every year. All my family's up there. But, yeah, I didn't start my martial arts training, even though I actually have martial arts family in Hawaii. I didn't start it till I was up in the States. Yeah. And I, I, I've pretty much only lived here and briefly in New York where I was able to train at Marcelo Garcia's only for a little bit. Cause I couldn't afford it, man. It was expensive Dude, out there. That's awesome. <laughs> I trained with some amazing people, man. But you know what, what's most interesting are the street fights in Hawaii are significantly better than anywhere else in the world. Dude. Like you'll see leg kicks, tie kicks, setups, knees, <laughs> takedowns, like literally these are the most technical street fights in the world. What is it about Hawaii that makes them, First of all, like, like they they just very combative. They they love fighting. Obviously, there's a surf culture there too. They're protective of their environment. What what is it about that that place that uh, makes all these great fighters and or I guess just fighting in general? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to get like too bro sciency about it, you know, because there are a lot of cultures like we talk about Dagestan, you know, and all these other places. But it, it's funny, like we, we could really, you know, go back and select throughout history and a lot of a lot of groups that went through a lot of adversity. Right. So it's, it's always hard to chalk it up to that. Mm. Um, but I will say the one thing with that, that is absolutely bro sciency that I will stand by if like you know, there's a gun in my head is that, yeah, we are pretty thick bone people. We have natural power. For whatever reason, we have chins, which can be bad, by the way, because some of us have relied on that a little too much. Um, yeah. But yeah, th there is something to that, Matt. I don't know what it is. We, a, lot, a lot of the guys are built to fight. I mean, even me, I'm the most non-athletic <clears throat> non-fighter there is, yet I can't help but do it. It's really weird. And how cool has it been for you, man, to see how far 
mixed martial arts has come is from a from a technique standpoint, from a tactic standpoint, strategy. You know, what, what has that evolution been like for you as an analyst? It's insane because it's still happening. I mean, we could talk about the basic evolution that thanks in part to the UFC and, and mixed martial arts in general, just kind of put the whole mixed martial arts world on steroids, right? Uh, however, lately, what's been the cool thing, and Kenny, perhaps you can relate to this, you know, perhaps when you went from Shaolin Campbell to working with Peter Welsh and boxing, where I was real big on, you know, when I went to Couture's, I'm, I'm going to empty the cup. I'm not going to be like uh, what's killed, in my opinion, a lot of the traditional martial arts guys is that stubbornness to evolve. Mm-hmm. And I emptied the cup. I'm like, I'm going to do the obvious switches for the switch kick for the MMA kickboxing Muay Thai and all these things. And now as I'm getting into it and getting more, you know, uh, as the sport's evolving and, and my Muay Thai coach I have with now, even we're actually incorporating more. Some of these traditional stuff is getting incorporated much more that, you know, I'm sure, Kenny, you were told, don't do that. Did disregard yeah. that. And and Kenny, we had a hard enough time being southpaws, right? You have to yes. kind of train everything both ways. And that was the benefit of that, even being a slow learner was, okay, I get to learn and I can fight pretty ambidextrously. I'm a right-handed southpaw, more like a Chris Curtis, right? Not like a left-hand dominant guy, like a Jeff Neal, who we might talk about. But um, now everybody switches. So it's like, God dang yeah. it. I, I had, That was like the one thing I had. And you can still, you know, tax people when they try to get cute and match with you as a Southpaw, but yes, it's, it's a lot harder these days, but there's a lot more weapons that are accepted, which is cool. Yeah. MMA junkie analyst, Dan Tom with us here for the first time on the Anakin Florian podcast. I will get to Jeff Neal and Ian Machado, Gary, because you sort of teased it, but the fan appetite for this featherweight championship fight is off the charts and rightfully so. I've been thinking about my pay-per-view open. This is one of the biggest, best singular fights that can possibly put together. I do think the betting line kind of backs that up. Alexander Volkanovsky, a slight favorite here against Ilya Topuria. So from your breakdown up to this point, I'm not necessarily asking for you to get too predictive, but how excited are you for this weekend and what are your expectations for the headliner at UFC 298? I'm insanely excited, and I had a, I've had essentially two vibes going into this fight. The first vibe was Chris Weidman, Anderson Silva won. Um, if that tells you anything, right, and that that tells you to the respect respect I and many other analysts, and I know you guys yourself have for the skills of Taporia. However, as I, as I get closer into this, this feels like more like Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega, UFC 231, which, mind you, has one of my favorite John Anik calls very underrated, underrated light heavyweight fight between Tiago Santos, Jimmy Manawa, not just capturing the action, but the emotion. I know that sounds very basic, but John, you're you're a master at your art, man. People go back and watch John Anik's call after Tiago Santos gets the finish. It's it's beautiful. Thank you, buddy. But Max Holloway fought Ortega that night, and we, you know, you had a lot of doubts, you know, at that time, featherweight goat, you know, health coming in for different reasons than Volk, right? And you saw the betting line reflect it as it does now. It's gotten much tighter. You know, Volkanovski, I believe, opened at a much heavier favorite. Uh, however, um, I am leaning toward the favorite side. I'll give you guys my kind of first look now. You know, John, my analysis doesn't come out till later in the week. So shout out to Big Ron, by the way. If John ever gives you crap, uh, just huh. point to me, Big Ron, because not only do I also put my analysis out late in the week, I've been hitting like crap, and you're you're actually cashing, bro. So shouts to you. <laughs> but uh, I'll give you guys my early my early hit, which maybe will tell you what to fade here. But I'm actually liking Volkanovski here, and um, I- I'm liking him because even though I believe he can compete, and we could talk technique. tactics and technique all day between the jab battle and the circling and footwork battle that is just going to be beautiful to watch unfold between these two but i have a hinkling you know that volkanovsky may lean back into his grappling he initially came on the you know scene like a macedonian khabib Nurmagomedov almost right and working with guys like craig jones and we saw the uh 
you know, developments of that camp, as well as Frank Hickman, who I know particularly because I'm actually going to Bang Tao next week, and I was kind of bummed because I'm like, oh crap, Frank's gonna. I was gonna try to get a, a wrestling private. My like, oh, Frank's gonna be with Volk. Uh, of course, he, he's been there over at Freestyle helping him prepare. So he's got a real grappling heavily heavy camp, guys. Yeah. And I would not be surprised to see that because even though I wouldn't look too much into that uh, gassing performance in that uh, against, I believe it was uh, the tall. Uh, tall gentleman from factory X Yusuf Zalal, uh, because UFC debut in that pandemic summer where you give fighters a break. Uh, he had the flu and whatnot. However, um, grappling, despite coming from grappling bases, it still tires the wrestlers out as much as the strikers, folks. It's very tiring, especially over five rounds. I believe Chael Sonnen was quoted, you can't wrestle for five rounds, <laughs> even with some help, it's tough. Um, right. So huh. I, I feel like Volkanovski is much more proven in five rounds, in five rounds grappling, being at the wrong end. Uh, so I think that uh, Volkanovski could do a little bit more of that. And I'll also be looking at him to see him do more kicks because stylistically, a kicker is going to give Taporia problems just like Volkanovski. They've got those dipping propensities and he south paws and yes. he switch kickers to that dipping side. That's going to be money and something to watch out for. We asked a poll question for our podcast today at Anna Florian Pod of the following main card underdogs. In whom are you most confident to get the win? Henry Cejudo versus Marab Dwalish Willie, Paolo Costa versus Robert Whitaker, or Jeff Neal versus Ian Machado Gary? And despite the fact that Jeff Neal has the biggest underdog price at plus 200 or so, 45% of people like Jeff Neal this weekend. Now, Safe Saud's one of my best friends in the sport, and certainly I've heard him say for years, you know, when his guy is on on any given Saturday night, he's the best welterweight in the world. Since you brought up the name Jeff Neal, I'm just curious how you handicap his chances against the undefeated Ian Machado Gary. That's a tough one because, John, even though it, it may be hard to make the argument you did the previous segment of calling somebody who's hyped and undefeated is underrated, I absolutely understand where you're coming from. And I reflect that in my own analysis as well, being that, you know, it, I don't care about the drama stuff outside. I leave that out. Uh, and Ian Gary is a good fighter. And particularly, even though we only had the one look prior to Daniel Rodriguez of him against a southpaw, that was against Gabe Green. He actually looked very comfortable in those open stance matchups. Uh, and, you know, I, I actually called for perhaps an open stance head kick on Rodriguez, which he got. So that could actually be really palpable here. I don't know if he'd be able to finish a guy like Jeff Neal. Here's the trouble. It's because with Jeff, with those guys that are coached by Eric Nixick or Safe Sayud, coaches I greatly respect, is that I know the coach is going to know exactly what to do. But but not only are fans not forgiving to the fighters, they certainly aren't forgiving to the coaching staff when things go awry. And it's just hard to depend on Jeff Neal to not headhunt and to not be left side dominant like I kind of teased. Yeah. You know, he doesn't use the right hand very much outside of the jab. He doesn't go to the body and legs. Um, and that really has killed him in so many matchups. And it's so hard as an analyst. I try not to pick too much of what we don't see because even like uh, – Duplessis and Strickland. I, I, I had a powwow with Eric as I do after. We don't talk strategy before, we, you know, but we, we compare notes after. And I said, I'm not afraid, to, obviously, to pick against our own guys, Eric. But the one edge that I said I had was that not just he, Strickland had a guy who, uh, you know, preached consistent body work. One of the only things that even seems to affect Duplessis. But he also had a consistent body work tool in both the jab and mainly the body teep. And we saw him abandon those in the fight, right? So even when it comes to a fighter's tool that they do have, you still can't even depend them on them to really use it. Fights are crazy, folks, to predict, right? So that, that's really tough. I want to pick Jeff Neal as an underdog. I can understand the money coming in on him. I love any fighter with safe Sayud in this corner. But yeah. I'm probably going Ian Gary on that fight. All right, and before I let you go, Marab Dwalish-Willie, Henry Cejudo, Robert Whitaker versus Paolo Costa. I'll give you a chance to sound off on either or both of those fights. A lot of people leaning into Robert Whitaker's comments about maybe not 
meeting the hunger of Drikus Duplessis at UFC 290 last July. And some fans even suggesting that Robert Whitaker is now in the twilight of his career. Uh, anything for us on the co-main event or Marab and Cejudo before we let you fly? Robert Whitaker is one of my favorite fighters and not by uh, on purpose. I don't think I've just ever picked against him since I've been doing this. I don't think I'm going to pick against him again. That said, I don't know if I want to bet, bet him in this spot. Uh, I agree with the line movement and who the favorite is in Cejudo and Marab with money coming on Marab. But again, yeah. you know, uh, a price that I really don't want. And just to really quickly touch and answer your question, I don't know if we're counting uh, Kopilov as uh, uh, oh, and, and, yeah. uh, as as a main card, but that's actually my dog that I like here, John, because even though I'm a big fan of Fluffy Hernandez, he's got that Mexican chin durability, the compete grappling the stamina where's the weakness right i'll tell you where the weakness is the guy gets hurt to the body kenny knows this the guys with the tough chins go to the body sometimes you'll find some success there and we've seen that roman kopilov has body work stoppages oh. all over this is going to be in the big cage which is going to be a little bit better for the striker uh, i'm probably going to be taking a shot on kopilov even though i love fluffy no, I'm so glad you brought that fight into the conversation because Anthony Fluffy Hernandez was minus 180 on DraftKings Sportsbook, now minus 205. So if you like that juicy price on Roman Kopilov, it's plus 170 right now. All right, on X, he is at Dan Tom MMA. If people want to ingest your work, my friend, of course, MMAJunkie.com, USA Today Sports, but uh, what's the best way to direct them to find your fine analytics, brother? Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I haven't been active on socials, kind of taking a little bit of a break from that in the yeah. podcast, but all my work is going to be posted on MMA Junkie. For you gambling addicts out there, uh, check out the Action Network. Uh, I, I do, I'm do. i still p posting and tracking my bets. Still didn't do well last weekend, but I'm still actually keeping consistent there, plus the articles that I put out for betting stuff, if you're in, interested in that. But you guys got a kick-ass uh, handicapper coming up, Big Gun Brian Pichu, who I'm a big fan of. Uh, shouts to that guy. Well, thank you, man, and thank you so much for joining us. And I can assure you that Kenny's going to text me after the show and be like, dude, we got to bring Dan Tom back for like a monthly segment or something. So hopefully the first of many appearances, my man, keep up the great work and just know commentators like me are ingesting a lot of what you're putting out there. So thank you for your service, for your great content. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, my man. It means the world. Thank you guys so much. All right. There he is. Dan Tom with us on the Anakin Florian podcast in advance of UFC at 298. Nice to hear him give big gun Brian Petrie his flowers as well. And that seems like a pretty good time to call on our chief handicapper for our pronunciation of the week and our main event challenge and also our place your bet segment. Big gun Brian Petrie, chief handicapper on the Anakin yes. Florian podcast. How are you? I'm good. What a gentleman Dan Tom is. I've been following him for a while. Appreciate the kind words to Dan Tom. They're very smart, sharp guy. I love his Southpaw report. Uh, yeah, good to see him on there. That's uh, that, that was a pleasure. So when I went on with Nick Kalikas and Yanni the Greek last week, I'd imagine yes. you didn't ingest that content and that's okay. But we did bring you up because I told them hey. you were 6'3". And yeah. Yachty was like blown away. And I just think yeah. a lot of people see you in a box, either on your MMA takes mm -hmm. podcast or here with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. And they don't realize that you can fuck some shit up if you have to. And not just because you're a big guy, you got hands yeah. too. I'm a big guy. I'm a big guy. Big, uh, big guy. It's surprising. Listen, I, you know, if you ask anybody I grew up with, I was the preppy kid. I wore the pink Abercrombie stuff. I wore the fucking $80 holes in my jeans, but I used to throw down cause I had a fucking temper and they huh. had this little baby face. So I got doubted a lot and I had to put some hands on them, yeah. uh, but that's, uh, that's not here or there. I mean, that's, uh, but yeah, I know it's very surprising to people when I, when I meet them. I mean, that's the first thing Bilal said when I meet him. He's like, Jesus, I didn't think you were this big. So <laughs> And I do think a lot of it has to do with just how youthful you look, right? Yeah. Like if you were told me you were 24, I'd be like, yeah, 
Yep. He's got yeah. a baby face. How old are you? I'm 37. Jeez, man. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, my daughters tell me every day, like, Daddy, you got all these wrinkles next to your eyes. I'm not going <laughs> to fucking shoot Botox into my face to look better on TV. All right. Pronunciation of the week. Let's do it. So I had to go with a Brazilian this week. Uh, yeah. It's a light heavyweight out of Curitiba, Paraná, Brazil, set to make his UFC debut this weekend. He had a knockout win on the Dana White Contender Series last September. So, uh, yeah. What do you have for us? Last name, I think, is Hibero. Um, yeah. But w- what do you have for us on this individual, Brian? So I haven't taped him yet. So I, I'm going in completely mine. Never heard of this guy. I know he fought in the contenders. I mean, it looks to me Bretson Hibero. But, I mean, what have, what have we got here? <laughs> Cody, what do you have, kid? Brandson Ribeiro. Brandson Ribeiro. It just makes me happy here in Brazilian Portuguese capital. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Brandison Ribeiro. So nice. in terms of Petrie, and uh, I don't have his record for the year, that's probably going to be a no for me. Yeah, that's an close, L. Bri. I mean, that's an L, bud. That's a big fat L. Listen, I keep taking beatings. I, I lost this weekend. Jeez, lost my shirt this weekend uh, on that Joe Pfeiffer hit. It but, was so uh, yeah, obvious, Brian. How did you so miss obvious. this? Oh, I missed so, it too. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, missed it too. Yeah. <laughs> I heard from a lot of my friends who don't bet the UFC regularly. They selectively play mixed martial arts. And yeah. one of my former 1510 The Zone producers in Boston, Nate Emmett, sent me a text on the morning of the Super Bowl, sort of intimating like I got a lot less to play with today because Joe yeah. Pfeiffer just literally destroyed yeah. my account. And I think a lot of handicappers were in the same boat. Yeah, it was a tough night. All right, so uh, I'd like to hear the Dwalish Willie file if we could do that, Cody. Do you have that on hand? Merab Dwalish Willie. Merab Dwalish Willie. Eating better has gotten a whole lot easier with Factors Fantastic ready-to-eat meals. These meals really are delicious. My daughters actually were fighting me for them just last week. These meals are chef-crafted, never frozen, and ready to go in just two minutes. The convenience and the taste value is absolutely undeniable. And depending on your preferences, you can choose from over 35 different options per week. That includes Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto as well. I happen to have gone with the Keto option. But whatever it is, your lifestyle or diet, if you are looking for fast premium options with no cooking required, Factor is the perfect solution for you. And we've done the math for you. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. And how about this robust offer from Factor? Head to factormeals.com slash flow50 and use code flow50 to get 50% off. That's code flow50, F-L-O-50 at factormeals.com slash flow50 to get 50% off. Kind of feels like we're butchering both names, but he'll be Marab this weekend. This is just a public service. This is all this is. All right, today's main event challenge is presented by DraftKings. Stay tuned because you will hear more about DraftKings and all it has to offer throughout the show. DraftKings, the crown is yours. We will update the standings in the final segment of the show when we get to place your bets. Presented by JohnAnnick.com. Right now, the right now though, the main event challenge: UFC 298, Volkanovski versus Topuria. Been a while. Only one pay-per-view thus far this year. Can't wait to get to Anaheim. We got two prelim picks, five for you on the main card, all in advance of place their bets. First up, guys, in the heavyweight division, Marcos Rogerio Pezao de Lima, minus 142. Take it on Justin Badman Tafa, who is plus 120. 
So Brad Paisal has not no. fought, if I'm not mistaken, since that disappointing, devastating knockout loss to the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. That was UFC 291 last July. Tafa kind of mm. uneven in his eight UFC starts. There is no denying the death touch, death touch power from Justin Tafa, but this is a step up in competition. On mm-hmm. paper, this is the toughest guy he has ever faced. What do you think, Bride? Pays out the favorite, or you going with Tafa the dog? I was shocked when I looked up <clears throat> Justin Tafa's stats. He's a hundred percent takedown defense in UFC. I wow. figured this guy was getting taken down, but what it is is when people get close, he sleeps them. You know, he's got that right hand from death, and he doesn't need a takedown defense. You know, he doesn't need it. Um, I think he's going to have to show maybe some of that in here because Peizal is a fucking giant, thick dude with a mini fridge on top of his shoulders. He's got a good chin. Yes, he's coming off a knockout from Derek Lewis, but Derek Lewis hit him like 20-something times with knees and everything. I mean, who, 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 no one's taking that, right? Peizal, I think, has a way to win, and that's get the fight to the ground. He's not very great off his back, but when he's on top, he's heavy. He goes for the finish. He does have a rear naked choke three fights ago, so he has some submissions, but I'm looking at him just pounding Tafa out. Tafa also has a little bit of cardio issue. Round one, Tafa KO. That's a gorgeous prop if you want to dive in on that, but once he gets out of round one, I think he's going to get drowned in those dirty waters by uh, Pazau, uh, Pazau, excuse me. And uh, I like the Lima here. I like him probably by finish second or third round is what I'm looking to play this on um, with the big boys here. Yeah, give me the Lima. Yeah, it is amazing. He walks around with a mini refrigerator on top of each Jeez. of his shoulders right. and never gets tired despite uh, those appliances that just sit on the top of his fucking shoulders. Kenny, uh, Marcos Rogerio <laughs> de Lima or Justin Taffa for you. Ay, ay, ay. Uh, you know, I, I got to bounce back here. Just like Pfeiffer has to deal with adversity coming back from that <laughs> loss, we have to bounce back from yes. adversity here. It's the exact same thing. It's exactly like what Pfeiffer needs to deal with here, BP. <laughs> That's um, right. Yeah, you know, this This is a tricky one. This is very interesting. You know, I, I think Delima, if he's going to get it done, he's going to get it done on the ground. Certainly, you know, big guy can knock out anybody. Um, but if there's a knockout that happens, I see it being Tafa. This guy, if he touches you, can put you out, especially in boxing range. Um, he is sneaky athletic with those hands, with his striking. He's very fast uh, for a guy who doesn't look like he's fast. No, he actually is. Um, and Delima, you know, he's very inconsistent. Uh, so it, it's tough. It's tough to say like what's going to happen. I, I think the, the approach for this fight from a betting standpoint would be like, you know, Betting the under, you know, I think there's going to be a finish here. It's mm-hmm. either going to be a finish for, uh, you know, Pizal if he gets the fight to the ground, or it's going to be a finish from Tafa uh, on the feet. So that, that's the way I would play this one. Other than that, it's tough to choose necessarily who is going to win. I'd be leaning towards maybe the Brazilian uh, just because of his experience, his level of competition. Uh, but uh, that's it. That's what I got on that one. Well, no, and that's good. That's the beauty of the new main event challenge, right? You don't have to make a prediction. I like that you gave us the under there, one and a half, two and a half. We'll see what those props come out at on DraftKings Sportsbook later this week. All right, featured prelim in the strawweight division. Third-ranked Amanda Lemos, minus 130, taking on seventh-ranked Mackenzie Dern, who is plus 110. Dern stepping in for an injured Tatiana Suarez, and she makes her 13th UFC appearance already here. Mackenzie Dern, eight and four in the UFC, Three of those four losses have come against Brazilians, Amanda Hibas, mm-hmm. Marina Rodriguez, and Jessica Andrade. Now she faces the power proposition brought on by the recent world ch- title challenger, Amanda Lemos. Brian, what do you think? Amanda Lemos minus 130 or Mackenzie Dern plus 110? <laughs> ah, 
Mackenzie, uh, her last fight is burned in my head. That was brutal watching Andrade destroy her like that. Um, I'm a huge Mackenzie Dern fan for multiple reasons, but she is a very, very talented martial artist. And I just hope and wish and pray that she learned some wrestling. 14% takedown accuracy is not going to get it done. She's working with Perillo. She's still in Southern California, which isn't really a hotbed for MMA right now. Every time I see her training, it's in her garage. Who's she training with? Where's the wrestling coming from? And Amanda Lamos is that bad bitch. You know what I mean? She can crack. Uh, she's fast. She got caught by Andrade with a standing uh, arm triangle. You know, that that can happen. She laid an egg against Zhang while uh, Wei Li Zhang. Uh, Zhang, sorry. John, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> no comment. That's good. No comment. She laid an egg in that fight. She's coming off that. She's hungry. And I think she has all the tools to just piece up Mackenzie Dern and get another finish here. I, you know, I, I, I hate saying that. Again, I like Dern. I don't want to see her take some more damage. I wish this was Tatiana Suarez, who I'm a huge fan of. That, that would have been a great fight. But after getting the shit kicked out of me last week, 10-7 last week on last week's card, I'm like bullish in some of my picks. I'm like cocky. Like, I know huh. the fucking outcome. <laughs> uh, I'm heavy on Lemos here at minus 130. So give me Lemos. Uh, I, I like her in this spot. And uh, I'm probably going to play her by knockout as well, uh, unfortunately, for Mackenzie Dern. And you know who you love more than Mackenzie Dern is Erica Petrie, who is a loyal viewer <laughs> of the Anakin Florian <laughs> podcast. <laughs> All right, right, so Amanda Lemos. Kenny really showed her toughness and then some in that one-sided loss to Zhang Wei Li. That was UFC 292 in Boston last year. She is 7-3 and three in the UFC, but she is going to be 37 years old in May. Dern going to be 31 next month. I would think she'd have a huge grappling advantage if she can get the fight there. What are your thoughts on how this fight might play out pretty close on the number? Yeah, man. Um, listen, well, well, I have a question for you guys. So, is she back training with Perillo? Because my understanding, the last fight she was not with Perillo. Is that right? Okay. So I, well, I, I don't. I, hang on a second. Hang on. Yeah. Hang on a quick John second here. I because I, I have the corner audio all added to my cards already here. So if you just give me a hot second here, Mackenzie Dern. Yeah. So Perillo was not in her corner last wow. time, and she has not listed her corner people on the first iteration of that document. So I don't gotcha. know that she's still working with Jason Perillo. Okay. I'm not so, sure, sure that that is the case, Kenny. Okay. So that, that's the way that that's what I had thought. Okay. So a couple things, Brian is absolutely spot on. If you are world-class in your domain of, of being on the ground and submitting pretty much anyone and everyone in that division or having the capability of doing so, um, Lemos included, who, who is pretty crafty herself at times, um, you got to have wrestling, right? We can't do a ground game if I don't have wrestling in MMA. So that has been a huge hiccup for her. Now, what compounds that concern is the fact that she looked even worse on the feet last time out. I am also a big Mackenzie Dern fan for a variety of reasons, just like <laughs> Brian Petrie. Hey, we'll get into that. But, you know, I, I think I think she is so talented, but I think she does herself a disservice with some, some of the approaches to the way that she trains. And um, that is going to be a concern because Lemos, you know, it's one thing to be a good striker. It's quite another thing to be a good striker and a dangerous one. She can mm -hmm. knock out even other very good strikers. And unfortunately for Mackenzie, she's not, a great striker at this stage of the game. So that is a big time concern, man. When, when she's throwing shots, she is throwing shots to absolutely hurt you 
and uh, and separate you from consciousness, as John likes to say. And and uh, that's what makes her so exciting. And one thing's for sure: if you do stand up for McK- with Mackenzie for a certain amount of time, you are going to land shots. So. For me, I, I like Lemos in this spot. It pains me because I, I love everything that Mackenzie has done in this sport and outside of it in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, she's she's hard not to like. Uh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. just a, a great heart, great person. Uh, love her aggression. She's as tough as nails. But I don't like this matchup for her. I think her new boyfriend, Cody, is pointing out might be her striking coach. I think his name yeah. is Antonio Tricoli or something like that. But okay. we'll get more from Mackenzie Dern uh, in the fighter meeting coming up on Thursday. All right. Pay-per-view main car begins with a couple of middleweights long on momentum. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, minus 205. He was minus 180, so some money coming in on Anthony fucking Hernandez. Roman Kopilov mm-hmm. counters at plus 170. Bri Hernandez, I stop at saying he's like come out of nowhere to vault into middleweight contention, but it kind of feels that way. Four straight wins have earned him the number 14 ranking, puts it on the line here against the decorated, layered Russian striker Roman Kopilov, who has also won four in a row. Brian Petrie, who do you love? Yeah, so I don't like the peacock too much. I'm not a huge told you so guy. I'm not petty a little bit, kind of. But before my Anakin Florian days, I would do like a, a a little Instagram video about like a fighter that I'm highlighting on the weekend or whatever. And Kopilov was my guy. Uh, and then he lost two in a row. And I got so much shit for saying <laughs> this guy was good. Now look at him four fights in a row with some knockouts. However, uh, I think he's fantastic and he's a great striker. Um, his body work is, is fantastic. Uh, he's powerful. His 92% takedown offense is great, but Fluffy puts a pace on you, man. You know, the body shots that Dan Tom brought up earlier are, are definitely a concern of mine. Fluffy gets such to the body. That's going to be a problem, but the pace he puts on you, not just with his pressure and his grappling with his hands as well. The kid can throw some hands and when he gets on top, he's dangerous. And then he'll let you up just to take you down again. Cause he knows he's going on three. He knows he's not getting tired. I haven't seen that with Kapilov yet. The four wins he has are very impressive because they're all by knockout. He's doing what he's supposed to do, but the strength of schedule to me is not quite there yet. I love him at the dog money. If you're dog hunting here and you're going Kapilov, that's great. It's a great price. I just trust fluffy here. I like fluffy probably uh, by decision. I like the over DraftKings does have some of the over set up right now. They set this one at one and a half. I'm hammering the over on that. I think that's a little low. I thought it should be two and a half. They're giving me one and a half. I'm taking fluffy and I'm taking the over. Nicely done with the handicap there. Yeah. Anthony fluffy Hernandez Kempflo, one of those guys, you cut him open. There's like a dog inside his chest, right? <laughs> uh, what do you think about fluffy here against Roman Kapilov to kick off the main card? The, the Latin Dagestan, da, Dagestani wrestler. Is that what we're talking about? Right. That's what I like. That's how I see him, man. This guy, he gets in on your body, whether it's a body lock or in on your legs, and he will not stop trying to take you down. He will not stop trying to advance position. He will not stop trying to uh, destroy you with ground and pound, and he will not stop until you are tapping out, man. I love his style, his aggression. He's one of those guys that you look at him, right? And you're like, this guy, this guy's gonna, he's got some scary tattoos, I guess, but he doesn't look physically intimidating to me. Right. But this dude is a dog. He he definitely has that dog in him, man. And uh, and I love it. There's some things on the feet where I get a little bit concerned. And when you're facing a guy like Kopilov, who is as dangerous as the other feet, he's got to be careful, uh, especially at range. Um, and as Dan Tom you know, pointed out, he's got to be careful of those body shots. No question about that. Um, those are the shots that will kind of just take 
the literal life out of you. Yeah. Uh, so it really has to mind his P's and Q's on the feet. However, he does know how to enter into that grappling range extremely well. He has one of the best guillotines that I've seen in a very long time uh, and has a variety of guillotines as well. So watch out for that. Um, yeah, and, and the pace. You know, uh, the pace, the conditioning can also be a submission. Uh, so I, I like Hernandez here in this spot, to be honest. I don't love the odds right now uh, mm. at this stage of the game, but uh, – Perhaps you'll see some kind of uh, a bet um, later on uh, when we talk about it. But nice. I like I like Hernandez here, man. Uh, that that's what I'm leaning towards. Little tease there from Ken Flo. So if you cut my chest open, is yep. it like a frog? A cat? <laughs> it's not a dog in there. It's a sure. dog. It just might be a chihuahua, dude. Yeah, a dog in there. Yeah, yeah, a dog in there. Maybe yeah. a cheetah. I'm actually pretty fast. Maybe a there cheetah. There you go. Hey, yeah. there you go. Yeah. My twin brother and I are going to do a 40-yard dash race against each other on oh, film dude, to show you. the world just how close. I mean, dude, it'll be like a tenth of a second. You know? All right. Wow. Can, can you guys please do a proper warm-up before this? We don't yeah, we'll try to do a proper okay. warm-up. Thank you. I was doing a strength and conditioning workout with uh, this lovely woman, Jody, in our neighborhood and uh, stretching for like 12 minutes. I'm like, I should probably be doing this, you know, before I pump a bunch of iron. All right. Next main card matchup comes your way in the Bantamweight division. Ooh. Number two, may Rob Dwellish, Willie, minus 198, taking on third-ranked Henry Cejudo, who is plus 164. So Aljamain Sterling right now is the number one contender. He will relinquish that spot for good when he competes against Calvin Cater at featherweight at UFC 300. So a few numbers here as we set it up. Cejudo has fought just one <clears throat> time since 2020, and it was that five-round split decision loss to Aljo for the title. It was last May at UFC 288. Dwellish Willie's won nine in a row. That includes the triumph over Jose Aldo at UFC 278. Five-round decision win over Piotr Jan 11 months ago. There was a hand surgery in May. That took away his chance to compete again in 2023. But this fight, Bri, gives him the chance to, I would think, secure a title shot. But perhaps, no, we need to pick from you, Bri. You going Dwellish Willie or Henry Cejudo? I mean, I know we're all, we're all fans are experiencing the apex fatigue, but this card, I mean, this card is great. Anaheim's got one. I wish it was closer to me so I could attend. I love this fight. I love that they put this together. Um, man, again, back to what I said earlier, I feel like I have a crystal ball and I know everything. Like, I'm heavy on Marab here or Mayrob. Excuse me. This guy is an absolute killer and he's getting better. I don't like that Cejudo took time off. He looked a little out of it, slow. Timing was off against Aljo. Now, Aljo can do that to people because Aljo's the funk master. He can mess you up, it, it, you know, uh, and that could throw the whole game off. I like what Henry did there. I saw the countdown. He, like, told his coach, like, hey, I'm not using you for this fight. He's got this whole thing worked out. He's trying new things. But inactivity is a killer when you're fighting a guy like Marab. Marab is going to march forward. His hands are getting better. His cardio is clearly a weapon. He's going to wrestle. And even if he doesn't get a takedown, he's going to keep you there. And then he's going to separate. He's going to land some strikes. And by the time you know it, three rounds are gone and you're losing the decision. I don't think Henry has one touch power to really clip Marab. I think he has good boxing, but I don't think it's um, this huge worldly power that Marab hasn't seen before. I see pressure makes diamonds. I see Marab winning this fight. I see it going off three rounds. I've seen Henry probably not winning. 
uh, a round. I see a 30-27 clean sweep for May Rob, and I like to see him maybe call out the, the champion next since Aljo's committed to 145. Right, Nothing but open doors now for, for him. He, he probably could add a title shot if it wasn't for Aljo, and uh, I think we need it because the videos he's been posting, he's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. He's got a good personality, and you know I would love a finish. You know He's got a couple decisions. Maybe the crowd's not going to get behind him with his style, but I don't think I don't think so. I think he's an action-packed fighter, and I like him to dominate in this fight. I am curious how many of these women that Marab Dwalishwili is posing with, he is actually uh, sleeping with, but probably not going to get that answer in the fighter meeting. Ken Flo, Dwalishwili, Henry Cejudo, big bantamweight fight coming up this weekend. Who do you have? Oh, this is where we're getting to all the juicy fights, mm-hmm. fellas. Um, hey, listen, you know, when when you have my job, sometimes you, you don't love making picks, right? Sometimes yeah. you don't love making picks. Sometimes you have to make these hard decisions. Um, and when I'm, when I'm going through, when I've seen everything that Marab has done, it, it is unbelievable. The, the streak, the pacing, uh, you know, the output, it, it's, it's crazy. But if I'm calculating, like, I'm looking at all the skills and I'm trying to find that fighter that matches up well against Marab Dualashvili, I, I find a guy in Henry Cejudo and I stop right there and I go, this is the guy. I think this is the guy that matches up very well against Marab. What does he want to do? He wants to throw a lot of stuff from the outside. Then he wants to get on the inside and take you down. Now, let's talk about the takedown. Um, it, do I believe that he's going to take someone down like a Henry Cejudo? No, I don't think so. I think that Aljo's unique funk style is what gave Henry Cejudo such a difficult time. I think the size of Aljamain Sterling, he truly, I mean, he's probably more of a 145 than he is a 135. Marab Dualashvili or Mayrab Dualashvili is more of a 135 pounder. So let's take away his size. Let's take away his wrestling because I don't think it's at the level of Aljamain Sterling, his takedown game anyway, right? Let's talk about that because he he, he does some judo style takedowns, not just all wrestling. Um, However, I think that Henry Cejudo will be able to nullify this. Where it starts to get interesting is with the output. Can Henry Cejudo match the output of a Marab Dualashvili? Um, I don't know, but I think he can. And I think he knows exactly what he's getting into. Uh, I, I think Mayrob is one of those guys that, um, it doesn't mean you could stop it, but you know exactly what to expect. Uh, and I think coming off a loss against his teammate, Aljamain Sterling, I think Henry Cejudo is going to be extremely well prepared for this. If it was a five rounder, I would, I would be agreeing with you, Brian. I would say, Hey, you know what? I'm leaning towards Mayrob here. But for this three-rounder, I'm going to be leaning towards Cejudo. I think it's going to be extremely close, but I see a lot of value here. It's not a whole lot of guys with this kind of matchup where you see uh, Cejudo as an underdog here. So I think there's some nice value here for Cejudo. I'm going to go with Henry here. Um, I think it's going to be close. I I do admit I'm taking a little bit of a risk here, um, but – I like Cejudo in this spot. I think people are sleeping on Henry a little bit. Well, and I think your preparation or your prediction is largely rooted in the expectation that Henry has prepared optimally. Right. One of the questions that I'm going to ask him in the fighter meeting is how would you compare your preparation for this fight compared to the Aljamain Sterling camp and maybe to his last fight before he retired after beating Dominic Cruz? I do believe that if Henry is all in, 
there is some value potentially on him plus 164. Yeah. And for the record, I did not intend to cause further confusion. Marab, Mayrob, both acceptable. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Featured bout of welterweight. Ian Machado, Gary, minus 230. Jeff Neal, plus 190. This fight was initially slated for UFC 292 in Boston last August. Neal was forced to pull out. Then, of course, Ian Gary got really sick in advance of his scheduled fight with former teammate Vicente Luque last year. So the UFC struck and remade this matchup. Bri, what do you think mm-hmm. about this one? Ian Gary trying to stay undefeated against Jeff Hands of Steel Neal. Just stacking bangers after bangers on this card. I love this fight. I'm glad they remade this fight. The Luke Gary fight was great. Glad they remade this. There's a little heat with the with the mugshot t-shirts and everything. And just matchup wise, it's gonna be it's gonna be fireworks, right? I uh I've poked fun of Ian Gary. I'm not outwardly making fun of the guy like everyone did. Everyone piled on to him, whatever. I think he's a fantastic fighter. I don't care about his personal life when it comes to this fight. I care about what I see in the cage. And he's fantastic. At range, he's dangerous. His cardio is great. Um, defense is shoring up a little bit more, which is great because, I, you know, Song Kinong put him down bad. I mean, put, Song Kinong put him out. He woke up on the mat. You, you got to be tight when you're fighting Jeff Neal. Um, he was down there in Brazil with Charles Oliveira. He's getting good training in and he's obviously motivated all that shit talking, all the Sean Strickland stuff, all the wife stuff. He's got a fucking chip on his shoulder. He's coming in here mad, not to mention a little prior beef with Jeff Neal, Jeff Neal, phenomenal fighter. He took Shavkat Rachmanov to the bell, basically got caught in that standing rear naked, but that's a guy who's going to be future champion in Rachmanov, right? And Jeff Neal gave him the best of the best. Jeff Neal, inconsistent, though. We can't have the Jeff Neal who showed up and fought Neil Magny. We just can't. We got to have the best version of Jeff Neal. And the best version of Jeff Neal, slick southpaw, in your face, knows his range really well, doesn't have great dist- or doesn't have great length with his, with his limbs, but great distant management. He's great in the pocket. I see Ian Gary wanting to stand on the outside. I see Jeff Neal trying to find his range. They're going to be playing with each other in the first round, and then explosions going to happen. Who do I trust more? Um, I'm trusting Ian Gary more. I think the skills are for real. I like this kid a lot. Um, I think Ian Gary can mix things up. Jeff Neal's takedown offense is phenomenal. If he wants to mix it up, he can. He's got the length, but I like Ian Gary at space. I think the head kicks, body kicks are going to be money. Um, he can't just go straight hands with Jeff Neal. You know what I mean? He'll, he'll get slapped. But if he goes full striking, his whole arsenal, the eight limbs, I like Ian Gary to win this fight here. Uh, get, sign me up for Ian Gary. All right, nicely done, Brian. Not unlike what Dan Tom said, Kenny, about the drama and the noise and all of this surrounding Ian Gary. I don't really even think about that stuff, if I'm being totally honest with you. And I think enough time has sort of elapsed here that maybe it won't be this huge thing for him to deal with during fight week. I could be wrong on that. I find it a little bit disappointing that a fighter of his profile has to disable comments now on all of his Instagram posts. But uh, what do you make of him in this spot here, Ken Flo, against the underdog Jeff Neal? Well, I'd appreciate if Brian left a little food on the table. That was a that <laughs> was a pretty damn good breakdown for Pete's sake. Wow, uh, that was awesome, man. Um, hey, listen, I I think that's all spot on. I, I think the range and the variety of skills from Ian Gary is going to pose a lot of problems from Jeff Neal, who sometimes 
gets caught in these patterns and sometimes will kind of continually throw the same stuff, hoping for a different result. And against someone like Ian Gary, who knows how to adapt and kind of become this chameleon at times, I, I think it's going to be tough, especially if he gets his kicking game going against Jeff Neal. And another spot-on comment from Brian Petrius, this can't be a boxing match. If this is a boxing match, Jeff Neal goes out there and knocks out Ian Gary. If there's one guy who's going to go out there and – land that one shot and win, it's going to be Jeff Neal. He's got one-punch knockout power, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, Ian Gary is more uh, maybe on the level of a Sean Strickland where he can overwhelm you with his pacing, with his speed, uh, with his volume. It's the accumulation of blows uh, that will kill you. And uh, I think that's where Ian Machado Gary is going to really shine in this fight. He does have to have a very disciplined approach, though. He can't get out of his element. He's got to be smart. And the same goes for Jeff Neal, um, right? Because Jeff Neal is probably coming into this fight very emotional. I think in some ways it helps him that this fight gets pushed back, where now he can kind of reevaluate where he was at emotionally, all that stuff. So I don't know if that same kind of passion is there from both guys necessarily um and that remains to be seen but yeah i'm leaning towards gary man he just seems to be the more technical uh fighter uh younger fighter faster fighter longer fighter those advantages are tough to overcome when you when you put it all together yeah can't deny the length can't deny the length you know cody wrote in the chat earlier when we were talking about petrie's height like because cody's tall too and Cody's like 6'2". He'll probably tell me he's taller than that. But, you know, Cody says they say the same thing to me. And I'm like, what the fuck? Do I give off short guy energy? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I hope I don't give off short guy energy. But I'm finding out increasingly I, I took my son to uh, an endocrinologist because he's tiny and he seems like he might be a good candidate for uh, that human growth hormone. And mm -hmm. The doctor is basically telling me I'm like 30% in terms of my height at five, eight and three quarters. I thought, I thought it was closer to like the average male than I am, you know, and we just try to make up for it in other ways. Let's get to the co-main event. Robert Whitaker minus 225, Paolo Costa plus 190. So Kenny, I'll lead with you here. Whitaker is suggestive of violence. He'll try to rally back from the loss to DDP last summer at UFC 290. Costa hasn't fought since a great performance and win over Luke Rockhold. That was UFC 291. Also last July, he was then booked to face Kamzat Shimaev in October at UFC 294. Nasty elbow infection forced him out of that matchup. Very interesting co-main event, Ken Flo, and a pretty big price next to Paolo Costa if you do like that side. What are your thoughts on the co-main event? This is a fascinating one. And I feel like the more I think about it, the more confused I get in a lot of ways. <laughs> I, I do think it's a benefit that Robert Whitaker uh, faltered in his last fight, that he underestimated this guy from South Africa, uh, Drikas Duplessis. And I also think he sees quite the opportunity here to get back into that title picture uh, with the win here against Paulo Costa. Um Paulo, though, when he gets into a groove, uh, not only is he powerful, he can throw a lot of volume. And if you allow him into boxing range, that's where Paulo Costa can win this fight. He is crazy fast for this division. You see a guy who's built like that. You're like, well, OK, well, he's jacked. The guy looks like an Adonis, but is he fast? 
Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, he is also very fast. Well, is he tough? Is he one of those guys that just looks tough? He looks the part, but then when he gets in trouble, he kind of gives up. No, no, he's actually very game as well. So um, I think Costa is going to try to get in the face of Whitaker early. I think he's going to try to keep a pace on Whitaker that is going to confuse and frustrate him. Whitaker, though, is extremely fast for that division. I think he's got some great skills where Whitaker kind of um, – you know, maybe is not at his strongest because he is strong. He's just not at his strongest um, when it comes to the volume department. He he's not necessarily the guy. And, and maybe I'm this is without really looking at stats. So perhaps I'm wrong on this. But um, I, I think that uh, you know if, if he doesn't throw a whole lot of volume here, that's where he can get in trouble and maybe lo- drop around here and there. Um, he's got to keep this one on the feet at distance be the slick karate fighter that he is, and then look for some takedowns to score and win rounds. If he sees an opportunity to finish Costa, then he can go for it. But if he's just kind of looking for that knockout on the feet, he's got to be extremely careful because Costa is very dangerous. He hits very hard. He's very fast. And I think in some ways, the fact that we haven't seen Costa in a, in a, in a lot in, in a long time, um, it can, can be confusing uh, because a lot of guys can get very good uh, when you don't see him. And I think Costa is one of those guys that has been working in the offseason. He's had some injuries and things like that. But I think he's really been looking for ways to improve. And um, I think this fight is a lot closer than people realize. Who am I leaning towards? I'm, lear- I'm, I'm leaning towards Whitaker. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll talk about what I'll do betting-wise later. But Ooh. very, very interesting fight. Brian, co-main event, Robert Whitaker, minus 225, Paolo Costa, plus 190. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, Robert Whitaker Whitaker can't show up for this fight. It's got to be Bobby Knuckles. Bobby Knuckles has to step in there and get fucking mean. Because the DDP fight leaves this bad taste in my mouth. It didn't seem like he was ready to go to war. He could have underestimated DDP. I've been wrong about DDP his entire career, so what the fuck do I know? But I felt like that's not the guy that fought Yo Romero. That's not the same guy who's ready to go, ready to die in there against Yo Romero. <clears throat> the success, the money, whatever, doesn't matter. He's still a, cha- he's still a warrior, former champion. And you look at his fights after your Romero, they've been pretty clean besides the Izzy fight. He, you know, he's not getting hit much. He's using his wrestling more. Paulo Costa is going to bring you to a war. He's showing up at your door. He's not taking a backward step and he's throwing heat and he's throwing hot, hot, big, big pow- punches, powerful body shots. To your head, to everything. Whitaker has great movement, great kicks. His wrestling's on point. He surprises you with that takedown. Paulo Costa, you know, Rockhold got him down. He laid on his, uh, stayed on his back the entire of that third round. I don't like that, but all I want from Costa is, is him to fight more. You know, he's Brazilian Superman. Look at the fucking guy, right? Yeah. He looks very lean to me. I don't think weight's going to be a problem. And plus one eighty five. Again, I feel like. I'm just seeing it today. 185 is a gift. I, I like Costa here. Um, I think he's going to knock out Bobby Knuckles within two wow. rounds. Um, yeah, I, I like, like the Paul conviction. Costa. Yeah, I like Paul Costa big here. All I right. could see that. And for the undisputed UFC featherweight championship, Alexander Volkanovsky minus 120. Ilya Topuria is plus 100. When I sent you guys the odds, it was minus 110 on both sides. Little action towards the Volkman. 75% of respondents to our Anik Florian podcast poll on X at Anik Florian pod, 75% like Volkanovsky. Certainly wow. a lot of the fan base out there is loving the value on him. Trying to make good on a sixth successive title defense taken on the undefeated phenom Ilya Topuria. And with respect, guys, like forget about UFC 299 in my backyard or UFC 300. 
This is one of the most consequential consequential fights I will have ever called in terms mm -hmm. of what it could mean for the future of the featherweight division and the respective legacies of both of these men. I'm fascinated, Bri, by this main event. Yeah. I need to know on which side you fall. I love that you said that. This is this is getting overlooked a little bit. This is a fantastic main event. So Poria, I've been a little slow on him. And it wasn't until I watched him butcher Bryce Mitchell live. I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's for real. And then what he did to Josh Emmett, I'm like, oh, this guy's for real, for real. And the fact that this is not going to be the only win, lose, or draw, he will be fighting for a title again. I'll say that. Um, fantastic boxing vision in the pocket is great. He can lead the dance. He can counter his ground games. Phenomenal as well. Um, cardio proved it against Josh Emmett. All the boxes have been checked. This is the fight we need. Wokonoski, I was surprised when he set the lines earlier this week, they opened as a pickle. I think that's a little disrespectful. I know Wokonoski's coming off the head kick knockout over Islam. And I tell you what, once I watched the uh, the countdown show and seeing how Volkanovski handled that loss, I see some people chirping him. Oh, you're making excuses. No, no. He's holding himself accountable. Coming off surgery. I was drinking. I don't know why. He has humility. He has, he has self-awareness. He has self-reflection, which I think a lot of fighters could use. And I think that is the one main point that is going to bring him to this fight and bring him a W in this fight. I like the way he switches stances. I like his wrestling. He wrestled against Yair beautifully, beat up Yair in the strength of schedule. I mean, if you look at who he fought versus Ilya, it is different worlds, right? Volkanovski's a guy who I think is one of the few guys who I like when they switch stances. There's only a handful of them. There's a lot of guys that are trying to do it, and I think it's awkward. I think it's herky-jerky. He does it right. It's phenomenal. Yeah. His kicks, both sides of his southpaw or orthodox, he's dangerous. His wrestling's phenomenal. I don't know if he's going to get Tabori down early, but I think he'll be able to get him down late. And the thing about Tupori, he teed off on Josh Emmett. That's because Josh Emmett stood in front of him. Alexander Volkanovski's not going to stand in front of this guy. Alexander Volkanovski has great footwork, great patterns, great movement. Um, obviously, the big the big question mark is, he, is he going, coming back too soon from getting knocked out, right? He is, he's 35, 36 years old. Is he coming back too soon getting knocked out? I like his motivation. I like how hungry he is. He's in fucking phenomenal shape. Look at the guy's Instagram. The guy is, is ripped. Uh, I like Volkanovski here. Again, I'm convicted. I like him in this spot. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a late fourth, fifth round TKO. But right now, minus 120, that's a gorgeous number for one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. Volkanovski will be 36 in September, but certainly it looks like the preparation was absolutely there. He's just not the excuse making type, right? I talk about just truthfulness, right? As a parent, mm -hmm. it's like, I'm either talking about hard work or honesty, right? I have two daughters, one of them fucking lies and one doesn't, right? One of them right. literally won't tell a lie. The other one pauses every time I ask her a fucking hard question. I think Volkanovsky was just trying to lay out the truth. It's not like he yeah. did it right after the fight. Right, right. Um, but Kenny, Ilya Topuria, man, like he just has this special championship quality and championship medal about him now. I don't know if it's going to produce a world title this weekend, but I certainly see this guy as a future champion, even if he doesn't get it done against the otherworldly Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, Ken Flo, as you know, we don't make you make picks on all these fights, but we will need a prediction on the main event. Who do you have? Okay, fine. I've been looking forward to this fight for a very, very long time, guys. Uh, this is such a great title fight. I can't wait for it. It is absolutely fascinating uh, to me. Um, you know, th there's so much to take into account, as, as Brian was talking about. There's so many skills on both sides of the coin here. 
uh, that, that it is a little bit difficult to decide. Now, when you look at Volkanovsky, I, I think what makes him great is his intelligence. It's his ability mm -hmm. to analyze a fighter. And, and of course, we need to include his team in that process. Um, and it's his ability to execute when he needs to. Um, I, I think what set him back was the fact that he didn't really have the ability to really do that on a training level in that fight against Mahashev. We do, of course, need to talk about that knockout. What did that do to him? Um, uh, for me, I don't see it as so much of a concern from a physical standpoint because this isn't a guy who's been knocked out once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven times already. That, that's been the only time that we've seen him knocked out. And um, I, I don't see it's going to I don't think it's going to be a major problem here, um, I, I think. And from a confidence standpoint, do I expect Volkanovsky to be short on confidence heading into this fight? Absolutely not. Um, the guy is good everywhere. It seems like he always has a perfect game plan. Uh, and then he always knows how to not only beat you, but also finish you uh, and, and have you regret, you know, you saying what you said and, and, and no. even challenging him in the first place. Uh, from you know everyone who's worked with Volkanovski, they say he's uh, probably very underrated as a grappler and one of the strongest dudes that they've ever trained with. So Volkanovski has all that going for him. Uh, Topuria has all of that as well. Uh, where he, what he doesn't have is the same level of experience. This is going to be his first fight uh, as, as a five rounder, right in the UFC, uh, just like what we saw with Pfeiffer and all that stuff. Um, that can be a concern. Uh, when you go into those championship rounds for the first time, it, it is a whole new ball of wax. So, um, But we have seen Topuria in trouble in fights. We have seen him fight at 155. Mm -hmm. um, yep. We've seen him all over the place and experience a lot of different things. The variety of, of, of opponents that he's faced, grapplers, wrestlers, strikers, he's kind of seen it all and he's answered those questions extremely well with flying colors. So this is an undefeated fighter that, for me, is the truest threat to the throne when it comes to Volkanovsky. Um, so, and, and every time we see uh, Topuria, he always seems to bring in this new set of skills. Like, oh, I didn't know he could do that. I didn't know he could do this. Yeah. I didn't know he could do that. The guy's a problem. He really is. He's a problem everywhere. So if he does encounter adversity, which he certainly will against someone like Volkanovsky, I, I, I see him responding to, to that adversity very, very well. Um, but um, for Volkanovsky, man, uh, again, this is a guy that many thought uh, was the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter on the planet. Um, he's certainly up there in the top two or three. And if I see this kind of value... Uh, from a betting perspective, I, I got to be leaning towards Volkanovsky here. Um, I, I think he's going to be, I, I think he's going to have a lot of gas in the tank. I think he's going to be extremely motivated uh, and not only to uh, shut up Ilya Toporia, but to remind everybody uh, of why people were calling him the best fighter on the planet pound for pound. So, um, uh, leaning towards Volkanovsky here, I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. If Topuria is able to win this one, then my goodness, I, I see him holding on to this belt for a long time. The other thing I want to mention, and, and, and Dan Tom mentioned this earlier, um, 
was the, the other concern for me is the fact that he does lean to a certain side a lot, either to uh, bait you into kind of countering you, uh, or he'll lean a little bit too far forward when he's looking for that body shot, when he's looking for that liver shot, which he loves to throw. His left hook downstairs and upstairs is a problem. So Volkanovski mm-hmm. has to be aware of that. Um, but the, the way to solve that is you basically uh, you, you take your kick and you just run it right through him. And I think Volkanovski is going to see that. He's going to look for that kick often to try to knock out uh, Topuria. And then the other thing, um, yes, Topuria is going to be a little bit taller, something that he doesn't experience very often in that division. But Volkanovski has that long-ass reach, man, and uh, <laughs> you can't forget about that either. So uh, I like Volkanovski in this spot slightly. Um, but man, is this going to be an amazing fight? And I do like that you acknowledge the Topuria improvements. I've said repeatedly in the build-up to this fight, he's working in silence. Nobody sees what he's yeah. doing. That's probably by design. Yes. And it is his second five-round fight in the UFC. Mm-hmm. He went five with Josh Emmett and did get stronger as that fight went along. All right, time now for Place Your Bets. I got media coming up in about four minutes, so we'll see how expeditiously we can do that. Place Your Bets brought to you by JohnAnik.com. You guys have $1,000 to spend at UFC 298. Quickly, we update the standings. I know Brian Petrie is going to keep me honest. He was at plus 659.85, $300 hit on Protes at minus 218. That paid 137.61. You lost 500 on Joe Pfeiffer, 200 on Brad Tavares. Brings your year-to-date total to $97.46 to the positive. Ken Flo was at plus 589.32, but he's now at minus 410.68. Lost $700 on Joe Pfeiffer and 300 on Armin Petrosian. So with that said, time for your UFC 298 selections. Brian Petrie, you have $1,000 to spend. Where are you going with your action, kid? Talk to me. So I see the comments. Everyone hammering on me. Brian, do a parlay, do a parlay. I am a straight wager guy. I do give out a parlay, but I'm going to give you a little parlay. Marab Amanda Lemos, plus 166 at $300. You can get that on DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, I like Paulo Costa, plus 185 for $200. I like Alexander Volkanovsky, minus 120 for $300. And then I just got this line from DraftKings as well. Fluffy Kopalov over one and a half, minus 160 for $200. Fluffy and Kopalov over one and a half at minus 160 for 200 And just so you know, we're giving you plus 190 on Paolo Costa because as of this taping, a little better than plus 185. Nice. All right, a I'll nice job it. spreading out your thousand bucks. Kemflo, where's your action at UFC 298, my man? Get your pen ready, kid. All right. Uh, we got plus 250 for Lemos. So 250 bucks on Lemos. We got 250 bucks on Cejudo. We got 250 bucks on Gary. We got 150 bucks on Volk. Now, we do have a parlay here. This is a four-fight yes. parlay because I'm, I'm an idiot. A uh, hundred bucks. <laughs> we got Lemos, Hernandez, Gary, and Volk. Let's go. I like that. Woo! I like the way you spread out your action there. All right. Love don't forget, it. Brian Petrie also has his own podcast, the MMA Takes Podcast, which you can check out in advance of UFC 298. And he's a great right. follow on X as well at Brian Petrie MMA. Outstanding job breaking down a lot of fights this week, Brian. We appreciate it very much and uh, look forward to talking with you about it next week, man. Absolutely, boys. John, have fun at Anaheim. You guys are the best. Let's see you. Thank you, buddy. And Ken Flo, great job bringing all of that to our UFC 298 preview. Thank you to Dan Tom, to Brian Petrie, our executive producer, Cody Bone Marrow. Don't forget, extra rounds on location and remember the show this weekend. Remember the name! 
Kareem Muhammad. Extra rounds of UFC 298 with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik. I will be there with them on Friday. I hope to meet a lot of UFC fans there. Don't forget johnanik.com, 20% off all Anik and Florian podcast merchandise, including the shirt Ken Flo is wearing, and also our new flagship One More Sleep designs are available as well. We can't wait to recap the shit out of UFC 298 with all of you fine folks coming up next Monday. We actually might go live Sunday night, actually. You know what? I'm flying to Boston to do some stuff with DraftKings. We're going to go live Sunday night to recap UFC 298 with you guys. So we will talk to you Sunday night. Until then, for Cody and Ken Plum, John Anik, thank you all for watching, for listening, subscribing. Tell your friends, tell your mom. We'll talk to you after 298. Enjoy the fights. Yo fucking thing. new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.